theyeshiva.net. Thank you, everybody, for gracing us. We're going to learn today, Be'ezer Hashem, three amazing pieces of the Svasemes. So please open your source sheets. It's going to be text-based. If you go to theyeshiva.net, you'll see the video on the top. It says Tuesday's class. And below the video, you have the ability to download your source sheets, or on top of the video, you have the ability to view your source sheets as you wish. Today's class is dedicated in loving memory of Reb Cheresh ben Yosef Chekov by his dear son, Rabbi Avram Toiv Chekov, whose father, Reb Cheresh, recently passed away. A special man, a true soldier in God's army, Today's class is also dedicated by a very dear friend and a great pedagogue of the Jewish nation, Rabbi David Refson, in tribute and loving memory to his mother, whose yard site is Aleph Ir, Rishchidosh Ir, Chava, Basara, and Bas Rebelio Akayin. Chava Refson, Reb David's mother, Zechreina Levracha, was born in Glasgow to an observant, a Torah observant Jew. He transcended his surroundings by maintaining his Yiddishkeit, his Judaism, in an environment where it was extremely difficult. He was one of the earliest Nitzive Yoim of the Ponovich Yeshiva established by the great Ponovich Rav, Rav Shleim Yosef Khan, Menzechet Tzadik Levrachen, he established a group of supporters, financial supporters known as Nitzive Yom. He was the earliest, one of the earliest, and he always accompanied Rav Khan, Man, the Ponovich Rav, and his meetings to Glasgow. His daughter was determined that she would marry a Jew who was observant, somebody who observed Torah, mitzvahs, who kept Shabbos, etc., and because of the slim pickings, she waited some years to find her soulmate. But then she merited to build a beautiful family together with her husband, Chava, together with her husband, Rebavram Abba, and their son today, his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, generations of great Jews. And uh, Reb David is dedicating this class in her yard site, in honor of her yard site. Just to add what he mentioned to me, that uh, at her funeral, the Biala Rebbe eulogized her. And he said that sometimes people who go around to collect money are afraid of the response of the man of the house. I have to discuss this great request with my wife. And they feel that, oh, you know, what is she going to say? Will she agree to such a level of generosity? He said in his mother's, the Biala Rebbe said that in, in Mrs. Chava Refson's case, she was recognized by everybody as even more generous than her husband, who was a well-known philanthropist and great Baltzdoka in England, a man of means who helped out a lot of Jewish institutions. And everybody knew that the secret to get what you want was to wait until she was home and she should be part of the meeting. And if she was part of the meeting, you knew that the charity would be given generously and benevolently. I hope by now you open your source sheets. Let's begin right away 
take a look, the first Svas Emes, Tazriya Tofresh Lamed Zion. Tofresh Lamed Zion would be 1877. The is the portions of Tazriya and Metzirah, deal famously with that person who we name Metzirah. Metzirah is usually translated as a leper, even though it's not the most accurate translation, because the symptoms discussed in the Torah portions of Tazriya and Metzirah don't exactly match up with what we call today leprosy, but there are many symptoms that are similar to the symptoms of a leper, I guess in the sense that there is a serious skin disconfiguration. So the Medrash says the word Metzoira is actually a combination of two words. This is Medrash Vayikra Rabba, Parsha Tezayin in the beginning. This is Medrash Rabba, Parsha Metzoira. The word Metzoira is a combination of two words. Moitzi Ra. So usually it's explained as, the Medrash says, Moitzi Shemra. Somebody who's a gossiper, he's a slanderer. Moitzi, he extracts, he releases bad names on people. He speaks negatively about people, slanders their reputation, loves telling evil stories about people. That's Moitzi Shemra. He gives out a bad name. He ruins people's reputations and names. But the actual word Moitzaira is two words. Moitzi Ra, not Shem. He brings out, he's Moitzi. Moitzi means to take out. Like you have, we have on Shabbos. Hamoitzi Mirishus Lirishus. You take out, like Yotzev, he went out. Moitzi, take out, we say in the blessing, Hamoitzi Lechem in God takes out, he extracts, he brings out, brings forth bread from the earth. You plant a seed and suddenly, <laughs> how the earth knows how to do this, how the soil manages to take your seed and together with uh, water and together with sunlight and together with air and earth, it produces what will become bread. So Mitzvah is Mitzvah. What's the meaning of this? He takes out. takes it out from where? The Hine, Nimtza Bechal Dover, V'chein Ba'adam Toivirakiyadua. In every single person, and really in every single thing, there is Toiv and there is Ra. Toiv means the goodness, and Ra means the negative. On a deeper level, Toiv represents the divine purpose of it. The word Ra, I told you a few times, it says in Tanya, that the word Ra is rooted in a word in Kohelas, in Ecclesiastes. Hakoil hevel usruach. The real origin of the word Ra in Hebrew, it actually means brokenness. You have in Babakama, koisel ra'ua, a flimsy, wobbly wall, a wall that's not steady, it's not solid, it may fall. It's called koisaru, it's very shaky, it's not stable, it's broken. The origin of Ra is brokenness, fragmentation. The sense of separateness, that I'm broken. What am I broken from? I'm broken off the source of everything. The source of everything is oneness, infinite oneness. We're all part of that oneness. The Ra in me, the Toiv in me, is that part of me that is conscious of that oneness. The Ra in me, the, the Ra in me is the brokenness in me, the part of me that feels detached, that feels alone, that's lonely. That's how Genesis, the first, the first time it says in Torah something is not good. What's not good? The first thing that Torah says is not good is for a person to be alone. 
Essentially, all aloneness represents I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm forlorn. So in every single thing, there is the toiv of it, and there is also the ra in it. That's how our world exists. That's how our world was created. And every person has both of those notions. Amnam, however, here is the key. The way they are all together, integrated, nemar, the Pasuk says in Bereshus, Hashem saw everything that He created, and behold, it was toiv ma'id, it was very good. Va'amru, so the Medrash says, Ze Yetzahara. This is fascinating. The Medrash Rabbin, Parshas Bereshus, section 9, says, Hashem saw everything he made, Vihine Toiv Ma'id. It was very good. So the Medrash says as follows Toiv Zayetzah Toiv. Ma'id Zayetzahara. Good is the positive inclination. And bad is the evil inclination, the negative inclination. Really? That's Toiv Ma'id? That's what's so good, the Yetzahara? The answer is, ki Because the Yetzirah, the way it is, is part of the kalal of the person. So it's only a mashu, it's, 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 it's a part of the person, but nizbatel, it becomes submerged and nullified in the context of the totality of a person's goodness and purity. The problem is, and this is what you have to be careful, is not to extricate, not to be moitzira, not to take the Yetzirah out of the kalal, out of the holistic, integrated oneness that defines the person. What is this Vasem is teaching here? He's teaching here something very profound. And that is, there's no real evil in a person. Even the Yetzirah is also toiv ma'ayit. The problem is not the Yetzirah, the problem is when it's taken out of context, when it's taken out of the klal, when you don't see it for what it really is, when it allows you to make new interpretations about yourself. This is a theme we often discuss. It's a fundamental idea in Yiddishkeit, especially in the teachings of Jewish spirituality over the generations, Machshava, Hashkafa, Musr, especially the writings of the Baal Shem Tev and his students, Hasidus, based on Kabbalistic teachings. And that is... You know, Rabbi Avram Abulefi was one of the great Kabbalists, and he says, Hashem's name, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, you know what the acronym is? Yetzer Hatoiv, V'yetzer Hara. The good inclination and the bad inclination. Really? That's God's name? Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey? The Mishnah says at the end of Brachis, V'haftas Hashem alakecha b'chalavavcha b'shnei yitzarecha. Love God with your entire heart, with your entire heart, not half your heart. So the Mishnah says, the ninth chapter of Brachas, with both of your inclinations, with your good inclination and also with your negative inclination. What does this mean? This means that the negativity in me is not really negative. It's just making me aware of what my purpose is, of what my mission is, of what I have to work on. It's an alarm clock that sounded in order to help me become the person I'm supposed to become. You know when it becomes negative? When I'm when I take it out of the cloud, when I don't see it in the context of who I am, when that becomes the defining narrative of my life, that becomes the story of my life. I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm horrible, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm worthless, I'm a loser, I'm hopeless. If the Yetzir Hara is part of the Klal, it's good. It's part of Yud, Hey, and Vav, and Hey. It's part of God's name. It's all good. 
In fact, the Yitzhara is ma'oid, the Yitzhara is toiv, and the Yitzhara is ma'oid, very good. Because it's actually pointing out where I have to work on in order to reveal my real goodness, my ma'oid, my excessive goodness, my extraordinary greatness. My darkness is there to help me find, excavate, and search for the light, the deepest light that's embedded inside of me. But what happens? I misinterpret the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara is there to stimulate, to challenge, to make me aware, to make me conscious, to give me an opportunity to choose love, to choose light, to choose authenticity, truth, integrity. Over there it's not Ra. It's Batal Betayv. He says it's Nisbatal. You know, when a little milk falls into the pot of Chaland, if it's a ratio of 60 to 1, you're good. It's Batal Beshishim. It's completely nullified. As the Rush explains, the Tama, the the forbidden substance becomes transformed by the permissible substance. At least one interpretation of what Bittal means in Jewish law. It becomes part of it. When the Yetzir Hara is seen in the context of the Kalal, of the totality of what a person really is, it's not Ra. It's actually good. The way God made it, it's actually very good. That's the way God sees it. What do you mean? But I have all these instincts and addictions and proclivities and, cra- and cravings. What, what do you mean I have all these desires for things that are maybe immoral or promiscuous or I have all this sadness in me or all this fear and insecurity and jealousy and all, whatever my thoughts are and my feelings are, and some of them are maybe even ugly and, and grotesque and even if they're not ugly but they're certainly, they schlep me down and they make me exhausted and tired and, and melancholy and sad. Anybody relates to what I'm talking about? So what suddenly became good? And this Vasemis is teaching us here, You're good. You're very good. But you have to be able to see your challenges from the perspective of wholeness, not from the perspective of brokenness, from the perspective of wholeness. See your challenges in the context of your infinite greatness and goodness. What an important lesson. The Isa, the Pasuk says, Shleim HaMelech tells us in Mishlei, Shoymer Piv, V'lushoynoi, Shoymer Mitzaris Nafshei. Somebody who guards his or her mouth and tongue guards themselves from the distress of their soul. Ein Shom B'Medrash. Take a look at the Medrash who tells the story about the Reichel Shehichur's man Boyichaya, about the peddler who announced, who wants a potion for life? Who wants a medicine for life? This Vasemis is referring to a story told in the Medrash, and I put it in the footnote. In the footnote, if you'll see the beginning of page two, you have the first star, Vayikri Rabbah Tazayin. I'll just tell you what the story is. There was a peddler who was going from city to city. This was around the area of Tzipoiri in the land of Israel. And he would announce, he would say, Who wants to buy Samchayim? Who wants to buy, buy uh, medicinal uh, 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 potions that will give you life? 
So everybody clung to him. Who doesn't want the magic medicine, the magic vitamin that will transform your life, right? So <laughs> that's the, the world of advertisement, especially today. Rabbi Yanai was sitting in his, in his chamber, starting teaching, and he hears this announcement. So he, he asks the person, he, says, he sends a message, please come up to my chambers and sell it to me. And the man says, oh, you don't need this, nor do people like you need this. But he, he nudged him, he pressured him. So the man says, okay, I'll take out my potion for life. And he opens up a book of Tehillim, a book of Psalms. And he shows him the famous Pasuk. You remember that Pasuk? Who is the person who desires life? Whoever wants life. The name Chafetz the, the, the Chaim, called the Sefer Chafetz Chaim from this Pasuk. Desires life. Who is the person who desires life? And if you have that person here, let me tell you what to do. Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceitfully. This is his potion for life. So Rabbi Yanai says, Ah! This is what Shleim HaMelech means in Proverbs 21. If you guard your mouth and your tongue, you guard Shoimer Mitzoris Nafshen. He says, I always read this verse and I never understood it until this peddler came and explained to me what it is. And that's the meaning of being careful. So the Fasem says, now we'll understand the deeper meaning of all of this. And he continues, what is the idea here? It's the words that have the great power to extract things from the inside and bring them into the outside world. How I define something with my words, how I talk about somebody, how I talk about myself. By the way, how I talk to myself, even talking to myself. How I talk to myself. I talk about myself to you, how I talk about you to you, or I talk about other people to you, I talk about things. So maitzira is maitzira, this is where impurity comes from. It doesn't come from the ra itself, you know why? The ra itself, the negativity itself, the challenge itself, the obstacle itself, those voices themselves inside of me, if they're seen in the proper context, they are part of my goodness, they are part of your goodness, they're part of your mission, don't worry. The challenge is we have to be careful of moitzira, to take the ra and separate it from the toiv, not to see it in context anymore, not to see it as part of an amazing narrative of who you are, but to really isolate it and quarantine it and have these, you know, these obsessive, rep, 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 repetitive thoughts, how bad I am and how bad it's going to be and how bad I was and how hopeless I am and how scared I am. I might see the ra. I take it out of the context. I don't see it that it's really a calling, a wake-up call of what my mission is, of what I have to work on. I don't see it in the context of my goodness. I isolate it and it becomes a self-contained problem and challenge. And the most powerful, lethal weapon for that is the mouth. I start giving it names and words. I'm a schlepper, I'm a schlamazel, I'm an idiot, I'm a moron, you're a moron. My child is this, my child is going to destroy my life, my husband is going to destroy my life, my wife is going to destroy my life, this one is going to destroy my life. This one destroyed my life, this one will destroy my life. I take an item that in its source, in its pristine source, it's really 
a calling for growth, for rejuvenation, for renewal, but I extract it from its natural hub, from its natural habitat, from Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, Yetzer Atoyf, the Yetzer Hara, and suddenly it becomes a monster. From God's perspective, from the inner perspective, the Iker HaChais is B'Pnimiyus Adam. From the internal perspective, it's part of your beautiful life. It's part of your amazing life. So be careful how you talk about things, how you articulate them, what type of life you give them through your words, because that becomes their definition in your mind. We often speak about, you know, the, 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 the blessings of language and the pitfalls of language. The blessings of languages, Adam Harishan was asked to name every animal. We are the only ones who can give everything a name. This is an elephant, and this is a deer, and this is a gazelle, and this is a squirrel, and this is a tree, and this is a beer, this is a car, this is a computer, this is a class. We give names, definitions, it allows for communication, it allows for progress, it allows for an invention. But we also have to be careful the types of names we give. Maitzi Shemra is, every person has challenges, every person has struggles. When I isolate the struggle and I see it and I turn it into a story of negativity and evil, I don't help that person triumph and transform their challenge into a blessing. I don't help myself do that. And this Fasemis now continues with another extraordinary insight. Now we can understand the hint the, behind the two birds. The beginning of Parshas Mitzrayah tells the story, what happens to a Mitzrayah when he or she loses their symptoms of impurity and it's time to purify them. We have this whole portion, it's a long, complicated, but very interesting portion. But a person who develops these symptoms either on their skin or on their clothes, later on their homes. But primarily the discussion first is on the skin and then on the clothes. And the Kayin sees and examines this person, whether it's a male or a female. The Kayin may say, you know, you are impure and this person has to be quarantined. Interesting word to use, I guess. Really quarantined alone until the symptoms are gone. Now the symptoms are gone, there's a process of purification. So the Medrash tells us Mitzoyer is not just a skin disease, some biological issue. It begins with internal spiritual malady. I'm taking out the ra from inside of me and therefore it becomes, it grows into something that it's not. It wasn't meant to be there. What's the process of purification? Very interesting process. The person has to they have to take two birds. Two birds. They have to be live birds. The Torah says, living birds, not ill. Tahiris, pure birds, kosher birds. Fills up a cup, a keli, an earthenware keli with living water, meaning water from a wellspring, not just water from uh, tap, water, tap water or even water from rainwater, but rather living water from a living wellspring. It's put into a vessel, an earthenware vessel. One of the birds is slaughtered. There's a shechita in the bird, and the blood is mixed into this water, into the spring water. The other bird, which is alive, is now taken together with a twig of a cedar and together with a hyssop, azov hyssop, and it's dipped into the mixture of water and blood. And then the second bird is sent away. He sends the other bird on the field, it goes free. And this is how the leper becomes pure and ultimately will be brought back in 
to the community and to his home and back to his or her regular ordinary life, rejuvenated, rehabilitated, healed. What's the meaning of this strange phenomenon? What are these two birds? So Tzvassemah says something amazing. The two birds represent the two dimensions that exist within each and every of us. There's an integration in us. There's a challenge, there's a mix of the Yetzir Toiv, of the voices in us, the consciousness in us, which is good, positive, holy, divine. And the Yetzir Hara, the broken voices inside of me, which can also sometimes be very bad and negative and disgusting and repulsive and immoral. Loimar, shegam Yetzir Harakshan is batel hutahir. To teach me, it's not that one bird is evil and one bird is good. No. Even the bird, which we say is the Yetzirah, if it's dipped in to the blood of the other bird, if it becomes part of the mixture of the totality of a person, it's pure. Both birds are pure. It's purified. The person is purified by mixing in by mixing, by dipping the blood that's sent away into the blood of the first bird. He didn't do anything to the second bird. He was just sent free. He didn't do anything to him. But nonetheless, by becoming submerged, by becoming entombed, by becoming part of the context of everything, everything else, the person becomes pure. Even if he's sent away afterwards, from all of this comes a person's purity. You don't have to destroy your Yetzirah. Don't amputate any part of yourself. That bird, there's two birds. The word, one bird is the Yetzirah. That bird is represented by the Shechita. Shechita, the Gemara says in Chulin, Laflamed, Ein Veshachat Elo Omoshach. Slaughtering, the word Shachat doesn't just mean to kill, to slaughter. It means to draw in. And that's why we have the halachas of how slaughtering has to happen. You can't just stab or shoot the animal. That makes it non-kosher. There's a special way of Shechita, of slaughtering, also the least painful, Omoshach, it has to be drawn. Spiritually, it means that what allows us to slaughter an animal is not because I'm a glutton and I want to eat chicken or I want to eat a piece of uh, rib steak, that doesn't allow me to eat meat or chicken or any living creature. It's the mashach. If I understand that my role is to draw it in, to elevate it, to sublimate it, because everything in this world, the earth, the daimim, inorganic matter serves vegetation. Vegetation and produce serve the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom serve the human. And now the human is the one who brings it all together and links the entire cosmos by introducing the transcendent, infinite oneness. So only if I'm ready to sublimate myself do I have the capacity to sublimate everything else in the world. If I myself am behaving like a beast and an animal, who gives me a right to take the life of a cucumber or a tomato because I'm hungry? Or certainly the life of a chicken or a fish or an animal? So it's a very sensitive thing. Eating a living creature is very, very sensitive. It's a serious thing. The Zayar says that eating, every time we eat, there's a conflict going on of what type of experience it's going to be. Is it going to be narcissistic or is it going to be divine? So now, the first bird that slaughtered, so to speak, elevated, 
And that becomes the source of purity. That's the Yetzir Toiv. But now you have a second bird. That's the Yetzir Hara. So what should you do with this bird? You should certainly kill it. He says, no. What you have to do to this bird is you have to dip it in to the living water and the life force of the Yetzir Toiv. Dip it in. And then it can go free. You want to use the creativity of your Yetzir. Every person's Yetzir is very deeply associated with your creativity. With your sensual desires. With your physical desires. They're all part of the amazing gifts of your personality. They're not divorced. The problem is they're taken out of context. So put them back into the context. Dip this bird back into the mixture. And then let it go. Let it flex its muscles. Let it fly. Let it soar. Even the sky is not the limit. That's how the Mitzvah becomes pure. Moitzi Ra. Now take the Ra and bring it back into the bittle. Bring it back into the dip. Put the milk into the cholent. Now, when it comes to non-kosher, you don't take milk and dip, put it into the cholent to nullify it. If it falls in, it's fine if the ratio is sufficient. But here we're talking about a person's emotional, psychological, spiritual life. This is what I always have to do. I have to see all of my creativity, even the creativity that gets me in trouble, all of my desires, all of my instincts, all of my passions. All of my passions are essentially part of my goodness. Even though I may be passionate to some things that may destroy my life, but if I go deeper and I see them in context, they are really here to teach me who I am, what my mission is, what I'm really looking for, what I have to work on. And they can be harnessed, therefore, and sublimated and transformed, and they become the source of my purity, not the source of my detriment. In another place, Svasemis Matzir Tafri Shlamet Beis, 1870. So that's Mitzray, that's Mitzray 18, what are we talking about, 1872. He says this very, very, even shorter. I'll just read it fast. Bemedrish Mitzray Maitzirah. Kimashanasana Hashem Yisbaruch Yitzahara Gamkin La'adam Kemayshahu Bechlal Enoi Misnaged La'avaydas Hashem Yisbaruch Gosem B'Shnei Yitzirah. The fact that God gave a person a Yitzahara, the way it, it is naturally, in the kalal, in the collective totality of a person, it's not bad. It does not oppose serving God. Torah says clearly, love God with both of your inclinations. The Yitzhar is happy to love God. Only when you demonize it. You know what the problem of the Yitzhar is? That you believe he's a Yitzhar. That's the problem. He's not a Yitzhar. He's a good guy. You're just misreading him. I'm misreading my Yitzhahara. I'm giving him the wrong identity. I'm giving him the wrong label. I'm taking him out of the cloud. I'm taking him out of the oneness. I don't see him for who he is. Now you remember we got these words, right? You remember from the Haggadah? The second child. You remember the rebellious child of Russia? What does the Haggadah say? The problem is he took himself out of the cloud. He doesn't feel he belongs anymore. I'm the loser. I'm the one who has no hope. I'm the sinner. That's the beginning of everything. I don't feel connected. Oh, once that happens, Kafa Baker, now he has to justify his rebellion. And he says, oh, there must be no God. It all begins from the loneliness, from the, what do they call? What do they say? From the attachment disorder. <laughs> it's attachment disorder. 
The Yitzhara needs attachment. Don't detach from it. So we say, get out of my life. Oh, you're doing the wrong thing. Don't get him out of your life. Bring him into your life. That's what he needs. He needs to go back into the cloud. Don't give him names. Don't label him. So that's what the Svasamas is saying. It's, 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 it's heavy stuff. He's saying the Yitzhara is not bad. He wants to serve God. The Yitzhara becomes the Yitzhara by me, believing that he's the Yitzhara. You say, come on, I'm lazy, I'm afraid, I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm, I have animosity, I have hate. If you could take a deep breath, and you could really, with compassion, create space for everything that's going on in you, you'll realize that all of these emotions, in the context of your infinite goodness, are only here to make you stronger, and to make you self-aware. And to really help you realize what your passions are. So he says, the two birds refer to the two inclinations. The way that God put these birds into you, they are pure. Every morning we wake up, what's the first thing we say? First thing! After Maidan, you wash your hands, and when you say, The soul you gave me is pure. There's so much purity in a person. Don't take anything out of its source. Don't separate the Yitzhara from its source. You are full of purity. You are full of light. You are full of divine promise and potential and love and goodness. You're not blemished. You're not bad. You're not evil. Stop that movie in your brain. There's so much purity. And when the drop of milk falls into the huge pot of chalant, there's so much chalant that the milk gets nullified. It becomes transformed. There's so much goodness in you. The Yetzirah, the way it is inside of you, is part of your goodness. It's, 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 it's the Yetzirah, the way it's seen in the context of who it really is, of who you really are, is part of your goodness. It's not separate. Don't take it out. Don't separate it. Don't give it separate names. This is a perspective on how to live, on how to breathe, on how to relate to life, how to think about yourself, how to think about your children, think about your spouse, how to think about other people. Now, this does not mean, I always make, I have to make this disclaimer, this does not mean that abuse is not abuse. This does not mean that if somebody punches me in my nose, they didn't punch me in my nose. This does not mean that if I stubbed my finger, I didn't stub my finger. And this does not mean that if I missed the plane, it's not aggravating. What it does mean is that the interpretation I give to things, the name I give to things, sometimes I'm dealing with a painful situation. Sometimes I'm dealing with a disappointment. That's not the Yetzirah. Those are the realities that I'm dealing with. The question is, the context of my life. Do I see my obstacles, my challenges, my difficulties, and I separate them, I extricate them, I emoitsi them from the context of goodness, of promise, of beauty, of infinite love? That's when it becomes toxic. Whew, okay. I don't even know that we need another lesson today. <laughs> I think this is a, a very powerful lesson, very powerful lesson. 
You have to think about this. You have to meditate on this. This is very. We did this very briefly, but you have to think about this, meditate on this, breathe, breathe it in, reflect on it, and most importantly, apply it. Apply it because our brains naturally, many of our brains naturally don't go here. You know, our neural pathways have already been formatted in a particular way. And we often don't go here. It's like the story has already been established and told in many ways. I am, I am this Mitzayra constantly. I'm always Moitzi this Ra. But we have to tell ourselves a different story about ourselves and then we can tell a different story to others about them. I told you once that the definition of love is learning the song of another person's soul and singing it to them when they have forgotten it. I always have to be able to see that song in other people, learn their song. In order to learn their song, I have to learn my song. And that song I need to sing to them when they forget it. <coughs> they could sing it to me when I forget my song. That's what love is. Okay, let's go further. This is a fascinating posik. Everybody knows this because it's one of the six, six things that we are commanded to remember always, as often as possible. Many Jews say this every single day. You remember? Let's see. Parshas Ki says the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 8 or 9. Dvarim, Chavdalet Chestas. Hishamer Benegatzeras, Lishmer Moid Velasas, Gekalashiris, Chamakayanim Alavim, Kashetzevisim, Tishmerulasas. Be careful with leprosy to do everything that the Kohanites and the Levites will instruct you to do, you shall do. Remember what your God has done to Miriam when you left Egypt. What's the connection? The juxtaposition is clear. Miriam became a tsaras, a leper. We learned before, we learned in Barjus Ba'aloyscha, the book of Numbers, that Miriam spoke about Moshe, and she became a mitzvah, and the whole nation waited for her. They did not travel until she recovered seven days, and then she came back into the camp, and they continued their journeys. Why did Miriam become a leper? The Torah doesn't say it explicitly, but the context of the story indicates that this was because of the slander or the gossip or the negativity she spoke about Moshe. So the Torah says, remember what God did to Miriam. This is important to remember. It says this, Fasem, is Be'inyin Skirit, Tazriya Tafri Shlamet Ches, Parshish Tazriya, 1838. I'm sorry, 1878. Be'inyin Skirit, Miriam Kasha. If the Torah is just trying to tell you to separate from gossip, so why doesn't the Torah just say it clearly? Why is the Torah like embarrassed to say the words? The Torah should say. Instead of saying in a roundabout way, remember what God did to Miriam, why don't you just say, remember how negative and destructive it is to gossip? Remember how bad it is to speak Lashon Hara, to say bad about other people. And by the way, Lashon Hara doesn't only include lies. There's a difference generally between Moitzi Shemra and Lashon Hara. Moitzi Shemra is when I simply tell a false story about you. Lashon Hara could be true. I'm telling a true story. But the talking about it is destructive. It's wrong. I'm not talking about if you're talking to the person helping them or you're talking to somebody who can actually help them. We're talking Lashon Hara, you just tell a story of negativity about another person. So just say, you're not allowed to do that. Be careful not to do this. Why does the Torah have to say it in such an ambiguous way? Remember what God did to Miriam. Okay, I remember. Now I need this whole interpretation. What did God do to Miriam? Why did he do it to Miriam? Just say it clearly. Great question. 
וגם דקסיב אשר עושה השם הלקח על המרים. פרדמור, תראה את זה, remember what השם did to מרים, וידוע שאין הקוסר מיחס דובר רחס ושלום לאבודי יסברך, כי מאיתו לא תצייח טוב. Generally we have a principle that the Torah does not attribute direct evil to God. From Hashem goodness comes out. We who have choices and we are deficient and we cause chaos and disarray in the cosmos. Here the Torah says remember what God did to Miriam. Like this is God's doing. That's very rare says the Svasamas. Avol Nira it seems to me that what we're trying to remember is something different. It's a gift that God gave us. That toxicity cannot remain entrenched in you. And therefore your system spits out the toxicity. And that is what tzaras, which we call leprosy, is really all about. It's the idea that you're too good to tolerate negativity. So your soul, your mind, your body spits it out so it shows up on the skin. This was a gift that happens during the exodus of Egypt. What does it mean to leave Mitzrayim? Part of leaving Mitzrayim means that you don't tolerate any more oppression, abuse, evil, dysfunction, negativity, toxicity, You don't tolerate it anymore because you're free. It's not you. That the Jewish people are mevur, they're clarified. They seek birur. They don't want to live with the dirt and the filth mixed in. As Ramban, Rabbeinu Moshe, Benachman, the great 13th century Spanish sage, leader, physician, Talmudist, philosopher, commentator, debater, in his commentary on Chumash, in this week's parish, the Ramban says, It's a beautiful Ramban. I have it in the footnotes. The second star you have, though, it's a long, beautiful Ramban. And his point is, I'm not going to read it now, but his point is that if you study the leprosies on the clothes and leprosies on the homes, he says, this is not something natural. It's something completely supernatural. But the idea is that the Jewish people are such a people that everything in their life needs to be aligned with truth. My body, my mind, my clothes, even my home. And when I allow dysfunction to penetrate any one of these things, it shows up, it shows up. It shows up not because you're bad, because you're good. Let's think about what he's saying. And it's so applicable to our generation. You know, people are, are lamenting a lot about everything that's coming out now. Every person you meet, <laughs> I don't know, every person, but so many people we meet are struggling anxieties, anxiety, stress, all types of inner, dark, challenging emotions. So much trauma is coming to the fore. For us, for our children, for our grandchildren, our friends, our friends' children, wherever you turn, you could blame the internet, you could blame Corona, and I'm sure all of these are partially to blame. But there is, there is a, 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 a dynamic that's happening. Says this Vasem, this is not a curse. He doesn't say, I don't want you to gossip. He's saying something deeper. Of course you're not allowed to say Lashon Remember what God did to Miriam. What did he do to Miriam? 
Miriam was too good not to be good. So when there was a distortion in Miriam's life, it was spit out, it was vomited. Her system could not hold on to it. And that's what saras is. It's the outer expression of an inner dysfunction that's being released. It can be dealt with. It can be seen. It can be scrutinized. It can be put under the light. And whenever ghosts are put under the light, they disappear. A person has to remember this in order to accept this on himself. That everything inside of me that is evil, that is destructive, should go out. Should, should be, I have to identify it and allow it to be released. Deal with it. According to the special design of the Creator for the Jewish people. Remember what Hashem did to Miriam. Now this answers both questions. First of all, why doesn't He speak clearly and just say, remember not to gossip? And why does he attribute this to God, what God did to Miriam? And the answer to both is, the answer to these questions is, because what we're remembering is what Hashem did to Miriam. This was a special gift that he taught us. You're too good to be not good. You're too holy to be unholy. You're too sacred to be profane. You're too healthy to be sick. You're supposed to be wholesome, not toxic. Trauma doesn't have a place... Trauma can't sit within you forever. That's why it says he did this to Miriam when they left Egypt. It wasn't when they left Egypt, it was later. And why is that so relevant on the way out of Egypt? He says, because that is what Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim means. This is what the Exodus was. The Exodus was that you're not going to tolerate oppression. You're not going to tolerate evil. You're not going to tolerate negativity. It's going to come out. And when it comes out, it just means you can deal with it. You can identify it. You can heal it. You can confront it. You can quarantine it. You can have compassion for it. You can transform it. But it's there. It's on the outside. It's not under the rug, dead, buried in the sub, sub, subconscious layers of my psyche. It's all emerging. That's the sign of redemption. That's the sign of Ka'ula. That's what we're seeing right now. This is one of the things we have to remember every day. This is a special gift. So what does this mean in your life and my life? Things come up to the surface, right? You wake up and suddenly things come up. You say, well, this happened 10 years ago. This happened 40 years ago. Leave me alone. No, don't worry. Don't get stressed out. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't start telling bad stories about yourself. We all go back to the first Fazemas. Don't start telling bad stories about yourself. See it in the context of your goodness. This is all part of your goodness, your holiness, God's invitation to you to live an amazingly powerful life, a life in which you become a channel for infinity, a life in which you become an ambassador for love, light, hope. Can you finish the sentence? Healing, authenticity, wisdom, and redemption. For me to be that ambassador, that channel, I got to clear up the rubble. I got to get rid of the static. I got to get rid of the garbage. Zachar. Remember, it's Hashem Hashem. It says, She'asa Hashem Miriam. What your God did for Miriam, that Miriam is a prototype, an archetype for each and every single one of us. Okay, let me take the plunge and do the third Svasemis. I usually get stop after the two, but I'm going to do the third today, okay? Miracles do happen. Svasemis, Mitzayra, Tofresh, Samach, Gimel.
This is his last piece on Mitzayra. 1903, he passed away two years later, 1905. And you'll soon see how all of this connects. I mean, I didn't just choose these three pieces randomly, but they're really all connected. But Pasaki Savoyu Aritz. Kisavoyu al Eretz Knan, sorry. Kisavoyu al Eretz Knan, Chuli v'nasati neged saras, Chuli psuri hizu ein sham b'medrash b'zayir hakadosh. The Torah says in Parshas Metzayir, Vayikra perik yedalat pasuk lamed hey, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 34. Lamed dalat, verse 34. When you come to the land of Canaan, God says, I'm going to place a leprosy in the walls of your home. Suddenly, there's going to be something strange, a disconfiguration of the stones in your home. And at some point, the person may have to smash down, demolish the walls of his or her home in order to create purity and renovation. So this sounds like good news, and it's really bad news. It's like, you know, you're going to get this house, and suddenly you're going to discover that all the pipes... (laughs) We're malfunctioning and you have to do it all over again. Thank you. After I paid a million dollars for the house and I thought I'm getting a functioning house, now I have to put another $80,000 into the piping. What's the good news here? The Medrash in the Zoya and Rashi says this is good news. The famous Medrash quoted in Rashi that the Canaanites, the Amorites, they hid treasures of gold and silver and pearls in the walls of their homes for many years. And when the Jews were forced to demolish the home, they revealed all these treasures. The Zoyar adds another dimension, and that is that some of these homes were very perverted. The promiscuity, the idolatry, the adultery, the theft, and other ugly, immoral orgies that went on were so horrible that there was a spirit of impurity that literally was saturated in these walls. And the misconfiguration in the stones was the greatest guidance for the Jewish people that they would be able to get rid of this toxic energy and start off in a new home. That's what it says in Medrash and in Zayah. Explains this Fasem as the Hineisa, the Torah says later, Parshas Achirei Mois in Leviticus, chapter 9, verse 3. I do not want you to emulate the ugly, immoral deeds that you have seen in Egypt where you lived. And I don't want you to emulate the grotesque actions of those who live in Canaan, the country where I'm bringing you. Do not do. So the Medrash says, the Sifra says, quoted in Rashi, that these places where the Jews lived and they're going to live were morally the most compromised. And that's why God is saying, I don't want you to emulate the deeds of Egypt where you lived, and I don't want you to emulate the behaviors in Canaan where you're going to live. Why is he mentioning these two countries? Because first of all, the Jews were there, or they're coming there. But these two countries, the morality was so compromised. The negativity, the promiscuity, the lack of respect for life, for other people's lives, the depravity of the various idolatrous, idolatrous sacrifices, sacrificing children, etc. We're not going to get into the graphic, um, uh, various horrible behaviors, but God is warning the Jews particularly about these, about these places. So when he says, the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you, don't do what they do, on a basic level, our rabbis teach because that place was really dangerous. And that's why he's warning them particularly about that place. 
and they're going to be there, so they could learn from them. But there is a deeper dimension. Because take a look at his words. The Torah's words are, The deeds of Canaan, where I'm bringing you, you should not do. So let's see. We have a special praise. In the Halal Haggadah, Tehillim chapter 136, we say it at the end of the Haggadah. Many say it Shabbos morning. We go through all those Haidus. And then we say that God. He took the Jews people through the territories of mighty kings, but he slayed those kings. He slayed those kings, and he allowed the Jews to survive. His kindness is forever. He gave their lands as an inheritance to the Jewish people, the lands of Sicha and the lands of Oig and the Transjordan. He gave it to the Jewish people. His kindness is everlasting. So he says there's a special praise here. God took out this depraved space from the hands of Canaan and it became a divine inheritance. It became a sacred space. Because this was such an impure place, therefore, So therefore, every single time when the Jewish people became more sublimated and the place was not worthy anymore to absorb this level of holiness, so God made that there should be a leprosy in this home, so that way they would uproot the impurified stones and the place would become a cleansed place. So this Fasemis is telling us here that what happens here is that these are places where there was a very profound spirit of impurity. When the Jews come there, it's becoming transformed into a place of holiness. But there was a lot of impurity there. So there's a special work that's necessary in that transformation. Sometimes a Jew was living in a home and he or she brought so much holiness into it, but the place couldn't accept this. The energy was being plugged and stopped because of everything that went on for so many generations. That's the good news that the leprosy allowed them to demolish the home and get rid of the impurity and bring in purity. But there's something deeper here. And here is where we come to his unique interpretation. It's not just God says, the country I'm bringing you to, Canaan, don't emulate their deeds. You know why I'm bringing you there. I'm bringing you there because their behavior was the worst. Because only you can bring in holiness into such a place. It's not Ashani, maybe Yesham Shama. The places where I'm going to bring you, where the behaviors were obnoxious and rude and horrible, don't follow them, don't emulate them. He's also explaining the reason why he's bringing them there. Ashani, maybe Yesham Shama. I'm bringing you there because only you can handle it. Only you can take such a place and transform it because of your holiness. Therefore, I'm bringing you there because ultimately the whole world needs to be transformed into holiness. That's why I'm bringing you to these places. Because the question is, the Medrash says that Egypt and Canaan, there there was the most immoral behavior and Canaan even worse than Egypt. So why are you bringing them there? Bringing them to a better place. 
Don't bring them there. He says, no, that's the reason. That's why I'm bringing you there. I'm bringing you there because in order to transform these places, I need people who can bring in nuclear holiness, nuclear energy of holiness. That's why you can go there. You have to know who you are. But when you do that, there's going to be resistance. And that's why the next step is going to be sometimes we're going to have to demolish the home in order to be able to make sure that you could live in a space of purity. This is also true about our souls. We see in earlier generations the souls were very lofty. But their bodies were often very corrupt. They needed a lot of rectification. This is fascinating. When you read the Tanakh, you see that sometimes people were capable of things that we would never do. We wouldn't even entertain it. I'm talking in terms of murder, adultery, idolatry. And you like wonder, you know, why are we talking about those people? We're like much better. And as Fasema says, and there's a mimer from the Balatanya about this entire Ermi Kates, that their souls were actually very, very lofty. Their bodies needed a lot of healing, a lot of fixing. They had like this paradox. It says in Tehillim, Psalms 179, I was formed both at the end and at the beginning, as the lowest and as the highest. Who does God bring into this ugly space, the highest soul? Sometimes there are physical bodies that their dispositions tended and had a proclivity. They gravitated to horrible, immoral behavior. Some people just have temperaments that could be very challenging. Again, back to the first Fasemis. On its own, independently as part of the cloud, it's not really evil, but it can be extricated and seen as evil. So God sends a very lofty soul into such a body because that's the only soul that can handle it and transform it. The role of the Jewish people is to be witnesses for Hashem, divine witnesses. What is a Jew? A Jew is a witness. A Jew is a messenger to testify that there is oneness, that there is infinity, that there is truth. Yeshaya Hanavi says to the Jewish people in the name of God, You are my witnesses. So the soul comes down to serve as a witness for what it saw, for what it sees. The soul is a chelik elekami mal mamsh. The soul is a piece of Hashem. Wherever the soul goes, it testifies to what it has seen, what it sees, it testifies to what it is. So the soul coming into the lowest body becomes a witness to the body to tell the body what is real. That's the role of the Jew. So he says, that's why God says, I'm going to bring you to these places where there was so much impurity because you are the witnesses. You will be able to transform them. And the leprosy in the homes is good news that there's too much purity you brought in and there is resistance, so we need renovation. Now here comes the clinch. Just as the soul comes down to this world to testify about Hashem, because the soul really comes from a higher transcendent place into a physical world. So the soul testifies about the truth of Hashem. 
that it has experienced and observes in the higher and observed in the higher realities, something else happens. When the soul returns back to heaven after its life, repaired and fixed, it continues to be a witness. The Jew is not only a witness during his or her life here. The Jewish soul continues to be a witness even in the next life, even after passing away. What do you mean, why? Because now the Jewish soul becomes a witness to the fact that God's oneness pervades even the lowest worlds. The angels can't grasp this. How can God be present in such lowliness? It's impossible. It's the souls that are God's witnesses. Atem Eidai doesn't only mean you come to this world, you'll serve as my witness. It means also when you'll go back to the next world, you'll serve as my witness. In this world, you'll serve as my witness to testify about the truth of transcendence and infinity. And when you go back to the higher worlds, you're going to testify that truth can be found in every situation and in every space and even in a brute and coarse world. We can choose love, oneness, and truth. And her testimony is always commensurate with the nature of her life in this world. That's what we mean when we talk about paradise and, and Gehenim and purgatory. It's basically how I lived. That's the future I create for myself. The soul that was a real witness to Hashem in this world really has what to report after its life. It can talk about the transformation of our world into a space of oneness. The soul that slacked off a little bit will have a harder time testifying. This is a beautiful insight about afterlife. It's basically the world I created here is the world I live in. It's basically what am I, what's going to be my testimony about. So some souls have a testimony that is glorious and some souls are stuttering a little bit. Because can they really say that God was fully present in the humble world? They may have stumbled with that and failed with that. So that's what you have to know. That it's about the choices I make here that creates my entire reality. I guess a soul that's stuttering lives in a very painful space. We explained elsewhere, Testimony has to be communicated with the mouth of the witnesses, right? We say, not from their writings, from their mouth. Only the person could be a witness on the Creator. That is one in heaven above and in the earth below. An angel can be a witness for Hashem. An angel could be a witness for spirituality. An angel could be a witness for transcendence. An agent, an angel can be a witness for sublimity. The animals and the creatures of our world can be a witness for the major diversity of creation, for the brilliance of creation, for the physical, um, extraordinary art and splendor of the cosmos. 
But who can be a witness for oneness? Who can be an aid for Achdus Hashem? Ator Eisaladas Ki Hashem Hu Alekim Einoid Movad. You can be the witness because you are the one who creates fusion. Because you are the interlacing link between heaven and earth. Because you are the one who creates integration. Because you are the one who shows that there's no dichotomy, there's no split. It's all part of oneness. Only you can be the witness. Atem Eidai. You are the only ones who could be a witness in both worlds. When you come down here, you're a witness and you say, Ah, the world is really spiritual divine energy. We're all one. And when you go up there, you could be a witness to say, that there's no space that is devoid of oneness. And the highest soul goes to the lowest place. Because who can be a witness in such a difficult place? Only somebody who's sure. You know, to be a witness when you're being cross-examined nonstop, it's hard. You ever, you ever a witness and the cross-examiner did gemach? You ever did it? You gotta be firm. You gotta know who you are. If you're insecure, oh yeah, they're gonna chop you. They want to catch you by, by, by a mistake, by an error. They psychologically confuse you. If you're gonna send down a soul into a low place, you gotta make sure that this soul is powerful. It can be a witness. Even when it's gonna be cross examined by every clip in the world, it will remain staunchly connected to who it is. Sometimes you see people who are struggling in such low places. They have the highest souls. Their souls can deal with this. That's why they were sent there. That's why I brought you into Canaan where their deeds were so grotesque and so immoral because your souls can transform that place. That's what it's all about. When you're dealing with a major struggle, it's because you can be a witness. And when you're a witness down here, you can be a witness up there. The angels could never get this, could never understand this. Testimony is with the mouth, the physical mouth. Angels don't have the physical mouth. Souls that never hear don't have the physical mouth. It's only those who tasted the touch of the physical mouth. I assume that's why he mentions that Adis has to be bepeh. Why is that relevant here? It has to be with the mouth. It's not just with thoughts. You know, you need the physical testimony, the physical mouth to testify. I think that's why he's emphasizing this. I'm not sure if somebody has another insight why he's emphasizing. I would love to hear from you. You can put it in the comments. Why he emphasizes these words. But it seems to me, because to testify about Hashem's oneness, you need somebody who's down here who reveals Ein Eid Malvadai. So how do we sum up today's class? Section number one. Don't be a moitzira. Always see your Yetzirah in the context of your infinite divine goodness. Yud hey vav hey Yetzirah toivi Yetzirah Always bring it back to the source. Point number two: Remember the chesed that God did to Miriam, and He does to you and to me. We don't like to tolerate abuse. Dysfunction can't sit in us for too long. Our systems don't want to live with eternal trauma. We've got to spit it out. We're supposed to be redeemed. We're not supposed to be miserable. And point number three, when you come to a place where there's a lot of impurity, it's because you can transform it. That's why you were sent there. 
when you see a soul struggling, it's because this soul has so much power. That's why in the older generation, in earlier generations, their souls were so lofty and their bodies were so lowly because it's this shidduch that can make reality work, that can make their life have a purpose. And that's what it means. Your soul is always a witness. And the harder places only that you sent to only means that you are a much more powerful witness. And you're a witness not only here, but you become a witness up there. You teach the angels about oneness just as you teach earth about oneness. Let's take a few questions. I don't understand. I have heard the Yetzirah defined as unholy. Would you say that this is categorically untrue as per a deeper understanding of the Yetzirah? I will just take out the word categorically. (laughs) Take out that word categorically. In other words, and also put three lines under the word as per a deeper understanding. Make it bold and put the font 26. Meaning, in the true, deeper understanding of the Eight Sahara, yes, it is not unholy. As he says, it does not oppose Avodah Hashem. In the Tanya, a major theme is that the Tzaddik sees his Eight Sahara, an animal soul, as a complete partner with the divine soul. However, this there's a development in human consciousness. In other words, we have to be careful because often people can misconstrue these ideas and turn their immoral instincts into holy instincts. And that's what people have done. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but people have sometimes romanticized, right, their weaknesses, for example, when it comes to sexuality. We have weaknesses. And sometimes people romanticize it as all divine and holy and they end up destroying their families. So it's very important to make a distinction between the Yetzirah in its pnimius and the way it's manifested in my life. If I am addicted to something, saying the Yetzirah is really good is the most dangerous thing I can do. I will destroy myself. Sometimes you have to look at the Yetzirah and say, this is bad, this is horrible. Why? Because it has already been extracted from its source. Because it has become monstrous. Yes, it's dangerous now. And you have to go cold turkey. You need recovery. You need help. You really need help. You have to change your life. But we always have to know that there's a deeper dimension. And if we have the courage to go deeper, we could find that behind all of these cravings and all of these energies, there's a lot of beautiful power. But for this, I have to go deeper. I have to go beneath the surface. You speak about unholy instincts. Based on what you're saying, maybe this is not the right definition. Yes and no. Every instinct has holiness in it. Every instinct has, that's his point. If you see it in context, if you see it in context, if you get that bird and you dip it into the mikvah of the first bird, it's not unholy. But only if you see it in context. Inside of it, there's holiness. But the way it's being manifested in my life, it may have been taken out of context. So, for example, if I'm dealing with something anxious inside of me and I'm looking for a number, I'm going to look to something as a number. That thing in my mind is what I'm looking for. I'm not really looking for that. I don't need a piece of cake. 
I don't need to have a crush on that person. I'm trying to fill a void. But because I'm not filling that void, this person or this object becomes a distraction, a cover-up. So here's the real deal. This instinct itself is not good. If I follow it, it's not going to do me well. But I also have to realize this instinct is not coming because I'm a destroyed, horrible person. There's something deeper that I'm searching for. And if I could find that, I'll see that this Yetzirah is not really bad. It's just looking for a deeper fulfillment. Most cravings that people have, if we have the courage to go back to their origin, you will find that they're not evil at all. They're really innocent. They're really pure. There is a yearning for attachment. There's a yearning for more godliness. There's a yearning for more love. There's a yearning for more wholeness. However, I'm not experiencing my craving anymore from the totality of oneness. I'm experiencing it from this perspective of brokenness. So this is a very subtle and important distinction. Now, I think for many generations, we translated the Sahara as the evil inclination, which is true, but it's a broken translation, meaning it's a partially true translation. It's a true translation. Let's not um, make the mistake of some spiritual romantics who blur the boundaries between morality and immorality, good and evil, constructive behavior, destructive behavior, addictive behavior, and healthy behavior, by turning everything into God, because it's a very, very destructive path. I've seen it. I've seen it with with colleagues. I've seen it with with people older than me. I've seen it with even great people who did not have the Kabbalah's oil, the, the discipline, of, uh, of, of the Shulchan Aruch, if the Torah says this is wrong, just to trust God that it's wrong and not be smarter. Together with this, especially today, we have to understand that there is a deeper dimension that be, and it behooves us to be able to explore it, to be able to see who we really are, because this allows us the deepest growth when we could really see what's behind all of our Yetzirahs. Souls today are from a lower sphere. Are our bodies more holy? Is that why there are so many highly sensitive people? Yeah, yeah. The souls today are not as lofty and the bodies are not as low. The bodies are much more sensitive. Bodies, you could see it everywhere. Bodies are extremely sensitive and you have to be note, note, note that and be sensitive to it and have compassion for it and really, and really help it, help it be what it's, what it's supposed to be. The extremisms that exist in earlier generations, you'll find less today. You read through the Tanakh, there was an extreme, even in the same person. He could be the greatest tzaddik, and then he can go to the other extreme mamash. You're not going to find that, because they were dealing with paradoxes that were very, very acute. The Alter Rebbe discusses this in Torah, Parshas Miketz. Today, in later generations, not only today, already, he already wrote that a few hundred years ago, in later generations... It's more of a balance. There are times when I have done wrong things unwittingly. I feel terribly guilty for it. I suffer for those things. What I actually need is realizing that my soul is not damaged beyond repair and that I have to take those negative things and see them in the context of my goodness and then I could fix them. Yeah, you're right, but it's very hard. Because we have our brain has this repetitive scratch CD. They used to say a scratched record, for those who remember record players, all of our, but there's this scratch, you know, the thought that's repetitive again and again and again. So you have to really be able to uh, notice it. He mentions the mouth 
because with testimony is with the mouth, which is right back to what we spoke about definitions, yeah? What, I have a question. What about the parts of us that don't seem to be redeemable? Things we only experience as negative, destructive, let's say horrible fear. Can every thought and instinct really be harnessed for the good? Doesn't the Tanya teach that there are negative thoughts and emotions that we need to, that we need to rid ourselves from completely? It's a very, very good question. I'm going to give you the classic Jewish answer. You're right, yes, but there's also something deeper than that. You're right. In reality, there are thoughts, there are emotions. Don't try to redeem them because they will just take over. Okay. However, however, really, even those thoughts and emotions have a spark inside of them. <laughs> but the only way you'll extract that spark is if you do not fall prey to them. That's the paradox. If you take your instinct seriously, you will actually deprive it from what it's really all about. Only when I have the discipline to be able to say, you're not going to control my life, can I discover, maybe at a later point, what is really, really inside of it. The Maggit says, the Maggit of Mizrich says, that Yosef had a strong craving for Potiphar's wife. What abstained? What caused him to abstain? He saw the image of his father. How did that help? So he says, listen to this, it's unbelievable. Paitifra's wife was amazingly beautiful. Beauty is Tiferis. Yaakov was the divine, the manifestation of the divine attribute of Tiferis. He looked at Paitifra's wife, but then he traced back her beauty to the source. God's beauty. Yaakov's beauty. So he managed to sublimate his desire. You're looking for beauty. So you're going to cheat on somebody's wife and break up a family and do something immoral? Where's that going to end you up? Where's that going to end you? I'm not only talking about physically in the law. In Egypt it was popular. I'm talking about spiritually. What you're looking for is beauty. You're looking for real. You're looking for harmony. You're looking for oneness. You're looking for symmetry. You're looking for real art. You're looking to connect to an energy. Get it from the source. Don't get it from the garbage can. (laughs) Get it from the source. Don't get it from immoral betrayal of, of a person. He traced it back to the source. Now, not everybody can do that. If I'm in a very strong, heated, passionate moment, I'm going to start with Tiferis. You know where I'm going to end up, right? You have to just sometimes run away, which he did. But it says, He ran outside where the sky is the limit. In other words, he traced it back to infinity. So sometimes I just, I can't deal with this. When you're in the heat of a moment, in the heat of the moment, you just have to abstain. There's nothing, it's not redeemable. But on a deeper level, if you'll go back in a moment of calmness, you will gain tremendous awareness. And for this, you have to have compassion. Don't fall prey to every instinct, but have compassion for every instinct. Very different. Have compassion. Make space for it. Realize it's part of your story. It's part of your humanness. It's part of your journey. It's part of your shlichus. By confronting it, by abstaining from it, you will actually allow it to show you its true colors. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. You hear this paradox? By not abstaining from it, 
you will become a victim of it. And not only that, you will deprive it from what it's really looking for. By becoming a leader and abstaining, you will actually one day help it find its true shayrish. This is the key. This is the key. The moment you get this, you understand. By falling into it, I'm not falling into it. I'm falling into the facade, the fake facade. By creating a boundary and consolidating my inner power, I will be able to look at it from a distance and actually be able to ultimately fulfill its true yearnings. Question. There are people who have fallen to the lowest levels. People can fall in this world. Is this part of the plan of God? that some fall to such lowly places, but they're really very holy, does God forgive them? You're asking now a very, very delicate question. <laughs> you can go to the yeshiva.net and type in free choice, and you'll see my series on free choice. But very briefly, I'm going to say, we have choices. God does not want us to live a life that is destructive, but sometimes we fall. Sometimes it's not our fault. We were given difficult situations. Sometimes the highest souls are allowed to fall in the lowest places. It's not always their fault. It's not always their choice. Sometimes life is difficult and challenging. But we always have the opportunity to identify that and to ultimately rectify it. And of course God forgives. The point here is not to be so judgmental. When you see people who fall very low, It's sometimes because they have very deep souls that have to refine very low places. And that's why they were given urges and instincts that other people don't have to deal with. So it's important to have that compassion and sensitivity. doesn't mean they're doing the right thing. They may be doing the wrong thing. But understand their struggle. Appreciate it. Does the verbal declaration from the witness have to do possibly with the verbiage of Miriam? Perhaps, yeah, that's what you mentioned. You mentioned that the perspective of looking at Ra in context doesn't mean there's no evil. There are challenging moments, ideas, voices, thoughts, toxic feelings. How can we practically take this perspective and apply it? Very good question. What I take take out of it is not to be ashamed with any part of yourself not to feel the need to amputate certain parts of your feelings, because that's not good. To realize that all the parts of us play a purpose. And even if right now there's something that's very disturbing in my mind, it's very, very hard for me. Instead of allowing it to demoralize me, and put me into a depression and make me feel horrible, can I really tell myself, have compassion on these thoughts they're really trying to teach you something. You know how dogs bark sometimes when they want to alert an owner to a danger? You ever, you ever saw such stories or read such stories? Very moving. Dogs, I read once a story about a dog that their, their master's child was stuck somewhere in the snow, freezing, a little toddler. And the dog kept on running back to the parents and then back to the toddler to warm to warm her up with the dog's natural warmth, and then running back to bark. This was their way of telling the father and mother that there's a child that needs to be saved. The child was saved. They realized they followed the dog. They saved the child. 
What do I mean by this? Why am I bringing this in? The dog is barking. The dog is not saying, save the child. The dog is just barking. But you have to have the sensitivity to understand that there's a deeper message. And now they could have screamed at the dog, stop, it's the middle of the night. Don't scream at yourself. Don't scream at your voices. You're disturbing me. You're crazy. You're a sick person. Have compassion and realize that there is a bark here. And the bark is not telling you clearly what's going on, but there is a bark. And this bark can help you become tremendously aware of what's going on. So there's a certain sense of compassion and acceptance that allows us then to make choices that are much more wholesome. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but I do, I think. So I hope somebody understands what I'm saying. Okay, somebody understands what I'm saying. Let's go to the next question. A lot of questions today. It's good when there's a lot of questions. It means that some ner- <laughs> that some nerves were touched. Another 13 questions. I don't know if I could take another 13 questions, but let's see. You kept on using the word bittle. I think, does it really mean that the Yetzirah has to be bottled to the Yetzirah It has to be a minority as part of the whole. In other words, self-nullification can only come if it's not the majority. Oh, that's, that's exactly the point. The point is that when, the, when there's bittle, it's part of another context. That's exactly the point. If the Yetzirah is on its own, of course it becomes a Yetzirah. That's exactly the idea. That the real Yetzirah, when it's in the context of the whole mixture, it's nullified in the good, meaning it's just another expression of goodness. There's an amazing teaching of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. He says, the Gemara says, If somebody comes to be contaminated, they open the door for him. So he explains, doesn't mean that if you want to sin, God will let you sin. It means something much deeper. If you're coming to be contaminated, if you're struggling with something, they're opening the door. This is your opening to find your godliness. In other words, my struggles are my path to greatness. That's the key. My struggles are my path to greatness. Your struggles are your path to greatness. You say, no, my struggles are destroying me. I got that. My struggles can destroy me too. And they're hard to deal with. But they are your path to greatness. But see them in the context of your greatness. If you'll see them in the context of your greatness, they will become your path to greatness. How? By confronting them, by subduing them, by transforming them, by dealing with them, by seeing what's inside of them, by learning about the passion, by learning about who you are. But the fact that you are dealing with this is going to be the factor that will turn you into the greatest person you can become. Let's face it, okay? I heard this the other day. Somebody sent me a wonderful class by Rabbi, my colleague, Rabbi Shays Taub. And he said, he was answering some questions, and he said something very powerful. Who has ever helped you in your life most? Was it ever somebody who did not go through some difficult experiences. All the people today who are struggling with terrible traumas, I guarantee you that when they work through those traumas, they are going to be the leaders of the next generation. That's exactly how it works. 
When you're given something difficult to deal with, it's because this is your path to... You know what he says? The Mairinayim says, the Racham Chernobyl, this is your path to Ruach HaKodesh. This is your path to Gahad. It's not a mistake. It's not that you're being punished, you're a bad person. Take a look at the... Take a look. All the people, you know, and maybe we could say this bluntly, take a look at all people who are really helping other people. And I can promise you that every one of them has been through very rough experiences. If not, they're not really helping people. Maybe there are a few exceptions, you know, just some sweetest souls that just are witnesses without going through anything. But most people, to become witnesses, they have to be cross-examined. You're not a witness in the vacuum. You've got to be tested. It doesn't happen without that. And that's how you can understand people. That's how you can be empathetic to people. How can you, I have empathy if I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I remember when I was sitting Shiva for my father, when he passed away, this is 2005. I remember I told my brother, one of my brothers, we were sitting near each other. And I said, you know, I right away see when somebody comes in, I right away know if they lost a parent or they didn't lose a parent. People who lost parents or lost loved ones, they look you in the eyes and they're quiet. And other people don't look you in the eyes and they don't stop talking about nonsense because they're uncomfortable, they're awkward. I'm not blaming them, I'm happy that they didn't have this loss. I'm very happy for them. But there's a very big difference. They can look you in the eyes and show empathy. They don't know what you're talking about. They start talking about, you know, some, uh, I don't know, the weather or politics and this. It's very different. Only, only people who have been through what you are, you, you are dealing with in one way or another that can have that level of empathy. You often talk about people who denigrate themselves. They put themselves down. They think they're bad, lazy, worthless, inferior, losers, etc. This is true for some people. But I want to talk about other people. There are those of us who think we are great. We are God's gift to humanity. We are superior to everybody else. We have big egos. Well, maybe you could introduce me to such people. I would love to meet them. I'm still looking for such people. The people that I have seen who speak a lot about their egos are usually the most broken people. I'm still looking for people who really feel that they're God's gift to humanity and they're really wholesome inside. If you can, if you can find them for me, I would love, I would love to meet them. Big ego is just a cover up for a horrible, horrible inferiority complex. Just as narcissism comes from the fact that you don't believe you exist. If you believe you exist, you don't have to be narcissistic. If I don't really believe that I exist, I have to be everywhere. When I tell my people that my husband has dementia, I know who knows what I'm talking about. Most say, terrible. Those who know what I'm talking about look at me and they say, look after yourself. That's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's a different world. You don't, you don't have to say anything. They look you in the eyes and you know right away that they're with you. They're there with you. They're just there. They don't have to say anything. They say, they don't say. It's a, different, it's a different experience. I have seen a difference between education given by people who are from from birth and Bali Tshuva. Bali Tshuva often tell a child who has done wrong, even lovingly, 
this or that is not good, you have to be, it has to be corrected, which is a negatively focused approach. People who are from from birth often say, meaning it's not fitting for you, a positive approach. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't have that data, that information to be able to, uh, you know, agree or disagree with you and really say this is a difference between how people who were born from raise their children, people who are Bali Chuva raise their children. I would rather talk about it more as individuals. I think each of us, whether we're born from or we have the merit to become Bali Chuva, really need to just be very honest and look at how we educate our children and see how we respond to things and how we talk to our children and how we think about our children, even equally important, and how we process our children. And I think if we become very honest and very aware, we'll make great, great strides. Okay, there are more questions, but uh, I think we'll take a little break here today. In the meantime, I wish you all a beautiful, meaningful, inspiring week, and thank you all for gracing us. Have a wonderful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.